Chris, episode one of our Let's Talk Sailing podcast. And this week we're looking at the subject of dinghy handicap racing versus one design racing. Now, what is the better choice? Is there a better choice? This is something that I'm not sure about, but let's find out from the people that are doing it. And this week we are, we welcome Lucy Riley and Alex Jeunet to the, uh, our inaugural podcast. Uh, both have a lot of dinghy sailing experience, very different backgrounds. So let's, uh, let's welcome them in and uh, find out a bit more about their experience and, uh, and, and where that puts them on the, uh, the four of handicap racing against one design fleet racing. Hello, welcome, Alex. How are you? Um, I've seen your surname. I've seen your surname, but I can't pronounce it properly. So this is my first icebreaker into this. But I'm going to say Junier. Is this right, or is this no one? Very good. It's actually very good. Yeah. Okay, we'll go with that. Awesome. Welcome, Alex Junier. How are you doing? So Alex is the catamaran class captain at Dubai Offshore Sailing Club, and previously he sailed in Laser Four Thousands. RS 400s and 49 FXs. Correct. If I have anything else I need to add to that list, Alex, I'm sure there's a there's a number of them that you've sailed before. I actually, uh, because my wife is just right there, so she's the crew, so I'm sailing with my wife all the time. <laughs> so if, if I say something wrong, she will probably beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm actually uh, just getting my wife into sailing as well at the moment, and I was actually looking for a few topics on which class we should start with. Um, obviously, my background is sailing, but Rhiannon is uh, fairly novice, to be honest with you. What would you recommend? You mean... Uh, Recently, uh, um this is the difficulty, we're going to keep jumping on each other. Um, recently, uh, we've been out with two small children in the nice new uh, RS Ventures. And I must say, having, I've sort of learned to sail and stuff, small dinghies, and then in a Wayfarer with my mum, and it really reminded me of, you know, being in a Wayfarer. There was loads of space, it was really stable, and minimal tripping hazards, and you could reef, so even when we took the two kids out in maybe a bit too much <laughs> building breeze of like 12 knots um, it, it was still manageable with the reefing so that was really good so and it also means you know that you've got somebody else with you which is always a bonus because you can always jump in and say actually uh, I'll take over. <laughs> <laughs> and how did the terminology go because obviously sailing terminology as sailors we love to try and sound technical when really it's just a rope um, how yeah. do you get past pulling pulling sheets in and, and halyards and things? Well, I guess that I'm a dinghy instructor, so I guess I've learned to, you know, to from teaching kids mainly, but also um, I did a season for sun sales, so worked in Greece for four months, um, and that was mainly teaching adults. So you do have to learn a slightly more basic language, I guess. But because you're not with another sailor, it sort of comes automatic because they're not responding in the same language as you. So you have to speak your basic boat language rather than your technical boating language. Solid tips. Very good. Well, Lucy, we haven't actually introduced you yet. Um, you, how long have you been sailing at Dosk, first of all? Have you been uh, here a few uh, 
So I've been at DOS nearly three and a half years, but also lived here in 2011 and 12. So it was two years uh, then. Okay. And well, it wasn't quite two years because we took six months to become members because that was how long the waiting list was. <laughs> Very good. And you're, you've, have you predominantly sailed dinghies? I know your sailing CV um, lists squibs and SB20s in the, in the keelboat side of things, but also lasers and fireballs in, on the dinghy side. Is are there any other sort of highlights or classes that you've sailed and competed? Well, in? I guess slightly different is that I've sailed the Atlantic, which obviously wasn't racing, but you know it was twenty-three and a half very long days on a forty-one-foot steel-hulled, um, built for cruising uh, yacht. Yeah, a box ticked, but it won't be one I'll be repeating. <laughs> Spoken like a true dinghy sailor, I think. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, um, but it takes you two days to, uh, to to plan your tactics to do the final jive round Martinique, and then you end up doing a crash drive, which took me out. Um, you know that was the highlight of our tactics. <laughs> oh dear. But going on to sort of back to your, you know, you use that word tactic. Um, you're looking at your sailing CV where you've done so so much in uh, laser, particularly laser radio, and uh, the squib which many boats many people listeners might not know but it's uh, an older design uh goes very slow so it is so much about tactics uh and the sb20s which um worldwide especially and especially at dusk are, are very it's a very tactical class because there's very little difference in the boat speed so would you regard yourselves as a as a tactical sailor well the majority of my sailing is with my husband and in the fireball as the helm so I do hold the stick, but I would actually like to give most of my tactic claims to Tim. <laughs> um, but obviously, I am the, still the one holding the stick. So you know, I am the the over, you know, the captain in charge. Captain majority. Yeah, that's but, right. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so you, definitely you, tactical. If you're not thinking about tactics, does that mean your sort of more your focus is more on boat speed? Yeah, 100%. Well, no, 75%. 75% focus on both speed. But um, it, uh, I know from sort of uh, a few years at Hailing Island how tactical the, the fireball fleet is. They, um, it, the, the proximity that the boats race near each other is pretty, pretty breathtaking. The, the, it's a very well-renowned fleet uh, and still um, a popular one worldwide. But do you... Um, do you favour one design boats, would you say? I think, well, you know, I learned to sail Noppy and then a Mirror and then a Wayfarer and then, you know, did um, a bit of Laser 2 and 420 at um, team racing and then, uh, yeah, then mainly onto the Fireball and the Laser. So I guess, yes, <laughs> is the simple answer. You know, I've only really sailed one design boat. Yeah. Um, I mean, Again, it, the traditional Norfolk boats that I've grown up with as well, they're all one design and very, very difficult to, you know, there's not really any variation in their speeds. It's purely tactics to get around the course and that's what gets you the places further up the ranks. Now, if um, we're going to draw some comparisons with, um, with what you just said there and, and your sailing background with, uh, with Alex, Chris, what would you say about Alex, Alex's sailing? Is there a common theme you pick up on Alex's uh, CV and, and the boats he sailed? Sorry, is that? 
Yes, actually, Alex, I was going to ask you where most of your sailing was done, first of all, in dinghies. Yeah, I think I have a very different background than uh, Lucy. Um, I was born, you know, nearby Paris, so far away from the sea. And when I was younger, I had the chance, you know, during the early days to do some yachting with my uncle. And um, basically, I didn't do that much dinghies when I was younger. Um, it's only seven years ago that we, we have actually rented, uh, I think it was like a 470 somewhere in the south of France with Delphine, my wife. And we thought that's actually a great hobby and maybe that's uh, a good thing that we can share together. So we started to actually uh, do some dinghy sailing very recently. So I'm not a sailing instructor. My wife, she's not a sailing instructor as well. And we, we are only sailing for seven years. And we basically started uh, when we were living in Belgium on the lake. And, um, and then later on, we actually uh, moved our boat to uh, a place called Branissa in the Netherlands, where uh, in the inland seas. Uh, so that's basically where we did most of our uh, sailing sessions. Cool. And when you're talking about uh, your sailing sessions, sorry, that's just in your 470 taking it around different locations. So essentially just hooking up to the back of your car and, and going to where you want to sail. No, so so we did the tryout with the, a, a, a rental boat, uh, the 470, but then we went to England to a place called uh, Porchester, I think it was called. Lovely uh, place of. Yeah, and, and we actually bought the RS400 and uh, we brought it, we, we, we brought her back to, uh, to Belgium and there was uh, there's a special lake uh, where you have a small dinghy club in, in Belgium. This is where we started, and uh, and then we did some you know regattas here and there. We did the uh, Euro Cup in Carnac in Bretagne. Cool. Um, that was super interesting. It was the first time for us to actually uh, go to a big event. Most of the fleet was coming from the UK, so it was very refreshing to find out that people will just come to you and give you some advice, uh, suggestion, and a very nice, lovely experience. Um, yeah. That's something I actually really like about one design racing or class racing is that the community is always pretty tight and willing to help you in, uh, in certain areas on how you can rig your boat and how you can improve performance as well, which I always find quite beneficial. Have you found yeah. that as well? Yeah, I think the, um, for me, the, the, obviously, the boat is important, but I would say the community around the boat is actually probably more important um, because of the support you get. And, and obviously, when I mean the, the RS400 is very technical, and yeah. us starting from scratch, uh, obviously we were far behind. Um, and um, but you know you can I mean, you can be like a bit deceived by your performance. But the way those guys were actually supporting us, in fact, we have some very, very good memories uh, of that uh, particular race um, because of all the support we've received from guys from England, from, uh, from um, Ireland as well, uh, from Scotland as well. It was really awesome. And on top, I would say that a class like the RS400 is actually very interesting in the sense that you have young people, you have older people, you have... Um, Ladies, you have gents, so it's like a big mix. And actually, everybody will come with his own background. 
And um, it's actually a very nice mix because they will bring you something which is very special linked to them. Uh, like all the people, we, I mean, they've been selling this boat for decades. So when they come to you, they will just try to give you the, those tips where the physical part is not, let's say, uh, important. The younger guys will come and say, oh, you need to hike like a maniac and do this and that. So <laughs> I, I find it quite interesting, more as, a, let's say, um, a life experience. It was not just about sailing, I would say. That's really cool. And just taking you back a few steps there, when you first started out in the dinghies, did you go and do any dinghy qualifications at all or anything like that? How, how, did, you, how did you learn? other than from your keelboat experiences previously and then your rentals? Yeah, we just uh, basically learn on our own. Uh, in the club in Belgium, we had some guys selling the 505. So they gave us some tips and we were just doing, you know, some club racing during the weekends. And that's it. I mean, uh, step by step, you grasp some few tips, some uh, support and, you know, you're building your house this way. So that's what we did. Yeah, very good. I am a complete believer in uh, learning as you go, almost. That's, uh, that's very similar to, to what I did as well. So, yeah, I'm a very big fan of that. When you were just talking about your racing side there, so are you preferring more the one design fleet racing in dinghies or more of the handicap side of sailing? Yeah, uh, so for, for me, the way I see it, um, and um, I had huge and long discussion with my uh, friends in, in France, about that. I think, I think handicap racing for me is um, more like a social uh, reunion. So um, I have a boat A, you have boat B. We, I mean, we are just there, we want to have some fun together. Handicap racing, that's the way to go. But eventually what I found out is that the, in the one design class, you have people that actually spend so much time using the same boat that uh, the, the level of, um, let's say, technical achievement they can, uh, they can grasp is actually uh, usually much better. So I would say the, the, the expertise you find in one design is probably, uh, I would say, a bit better. And, and on top, the, um, it's pure competition, right? Because you're not competing on the equipment. Um, just uh, you, your boat, uh, obviously, you can have brand new cells versus old cells and etc. But it's kind of reducing the, uh, the 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 chance for equipment advantage. On top, you, you know, I actually worked with a guy in France who is in charge of the dinghy for the French Sailing Federation. And uh, when we were doing the, uh, the the rating system for the the boat in France, actually, he got me involved and. Um, what we found out is that by having one rating uh, for a boat, in fact, you're disregarding many components, like for example, the, the wind speed. If you have uh, light conditions very versus, let's say, uh, very windy conditions, the gap between boats will be statistically very different. So I would say handicap racing won't be true, right? I mean, the, the, rate, the rating is, is, is giving you the illusion that you're competing against each other, but in fact, really, you are, you are just competing against an equation, which is a stat statistical equation. That's it. Well, Alex, some um, pretty prominent points there. Um, 
Thank you. I'm going to quiz. Uh, I'm going to go across to Lucy and and uh, just see if there's um, how her experiences compare. So one of the things I picked up, Alex, saying there, Lucy, is that um, you know handicap racing is is more social and has potentially a, a little less of a competitive element to it. Would you would you agree with that with your experiences in in say the fireball racing against other classes? Yeah, so uh, where we before we were in, um, moved out to Dubai this time, we were at Blackwater Sailing Club, so sailing on an estuary, um, and the majority of the time it was handicap racing. Yes, there were other fireballs within that, so you still had your one design um, racing, you know, with your direct fireball competitors, but you still, you know, you're racing against, as a fast handicap fleet, you know, 49ers and a moth, which was just, you know, you weren't racing against them. They were just whizzing round um, not past the race basically um, and the courses were all very different uh, to how you know we would used to do for one one design racing at like the nationals and open events and things it was generally you know round the cans and um, so the main point basically I always find with any sort of racing is if you can win the start then you know you've got your clear air and then hopefully you'll be off but with you know the handicap races then the difficulty is you've got faster boats that don't have such a good start they're messing you up on your windward mark rounding and it makes it i guess more tactical tactical in that sense in that you know you have got other boats to compete against at different speeds and different abilities whereas one design again you know is because all your boat speed is so similar um, it's all about tactics so again once you've won your start then you know you're off whereas handicaps you've got more opportunity I guess to win and lose because you've got different variations of different boats to race against. That's, yeah interesting you say that because um, you often hear one of the, the key phrases used at, at Cow's Week is, is traffic management not boat speed or, or tactics it's it's not not getting the stuck the wrong side of say 80 squibs uh with the yeah. brown sails just going very slowly up the solent um but also you know picking up on what alice said there about the um when he was working uh, with the french sailing association on on ratings and how with a with handicap sailing there are so many variables it could be wind it could be tide um wind shifts some boats will uh, you know a, a hiking boat for instance like a, a the 400 that Alex was sailing can tack maybe a bit quicker or react a bit quicker than uh, the 505 he was sailing against. Um, but over a series, over a season, do you think those variables are all work out evenly? Um, would you sort of get to the end of the season and, and feel that there'd been enough light wind races against heavy wind races, enough cross tide and and wind with tide or wind against tide to to really mitigate those factors do you think it come do you think at the end of the day it makes a huge difference to, that different boats perform better in different conditions yeah i mean it's definitely different like you say different boats different conditions are completely different um experiences on exactly the same race course at different times um you know as a you know the fireball would tend to be the slower end of the fast handicap fleet that we were racing in so you know once we the faster boats had gone past us there weren't many that were then you know up coming behind us so we could race our own race and um, and we were always because it, it was so tight dependent there and um, you could only sail two hours either side of the tide otherwise you're on the mud 
So the tide conditions generally were more or less similar. It was like it's just the wind conditions because you were so restricted on the tide. Um, you obviously couldn't have the nice summer sea breezes because there wasn't any water to sail in the afternoon sometimes. Um, so that made the variables even more dramatic because we sometimes have to start at half past eight in the morning in August, which everybody knows in the UK means basically you have no wind. Um, but then other days, you, re, you know, the start was at half three in the afternoon. So you have great conditions, um, sun was shining, um, and you knew that you were going to, you know, have a good couple of races. So I do think that the different variations, and I know that the, you know, within the RYA and each sailing club, they, you know, give feedback at the end of each season in regards to the handicap and the Portsmouth yardstick um, and do alter it as and when required. I mean, there's always going to be new sales um, and new designs that obviously can always speed up things. I know that the RS fleet are always forever um, developing their new sales. So although they're still a one design, there's still development within the one design fleets. Um, so they, you know, they are forever changing, but you'd just hope that, yeah, over a whole season, you might at least have a good few ones that can bump you, you up the series a bit more. <laughs> and, and but it's going time back, on water. That's the other thing. Handicap, time on the water. Classic phrase, yeah. Being on the water. <laughs> Um, going, picking up on another um, line of uh, conversation that uh, Alex said, um, how handicap racing is, um, does have a very social core to it. And it was really nice to hear some of the, the experience you had at uh, uh, international events where people really do walk across Dean Park and, and help each other out and lend spare parts, lend tips. Do you, I mean, some, some of that is that different people have different athletic abilities or even just personal preference to what boats they sail yourself and tim knowing you well are you know did you choose the boat or did the boat choose you you are sort of perfect fireball helm and fireball crew size and shape um whereas um alex and delphine um are you know you know, fantastic sort of weight and athletic ability for something say like a 400 which is much more of a hiking boat and and it does give um a lot of advantage if, if like alex said you do hike like a maniac upwind it does pay off um so yeah, is, is a plus point of handicap racing that there are so many types of boats out there and everybody is different and everybody does have both an athletic uh, athletically they are different but also have different styles of sailing and different personal preference so is is a benefit of of handicap racing that you can just choose which boat you want to sail yeah i mean that's definitely true i mean you know my mum used to sail away fair with her friends and they used to do you know sort of local series but also just club racing um but then me and a friend at, you know in our teenage years because also race against them in a wayfarer and you know you'd be pretty even until you know the breeze picked up a bit um and yeah any sort of handicap racing depending on what people's like you say their fitness ability their you know if they've got any sort of um physical disabilities so um that could obviously change you know what your boat that you're able to sail um and yeah i mean it does enable more people to be out sailing which you know is a big bonus it gets people on the water it gets people learning new skills 
Um, and yeah, like you say, socialising. I mean, that's the majority of the time you go and in between races, you're hanging around either on the water or off the water, having a chat, feedback of the race. Oh, what about that windward mark rounding, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's all about the community, the sailing club and, you know, making friends and learning from other people's experiences and knowledge. So definitely. Yeah. There are in back in the UK. There are a huge number of, of classes to choose from, um, but I know uh, in sort of continental Europe, the sailing clubs do you, do. you tend to find less variety in classes. So I'll go back to, to Alex when you obviously drove across the Channel or got a ferry across the Channel, should I say, and, and picked up a <laughs> in a drive across the Channel. Yeah, you got a ferry across the Channel and picked up a, an RS four hundred from Portchester, which is a is known as a sort of a four hundred club. Um, and you, you get back to Belgium with your 400 and um, what was the reaction? Were there other 400s already there or was there a bit of a reaction? Were you turning up with a new boat and what was that reaction when you arrived with the RS400 back in Belgium? Actually, to, to, the, the most surprising part was not actually going back to Belgium, was actually getting to Porchester. The, I mean, you don't realize it because you're coming from the UK, but for me, in the dinghy world in Europe, you have the UK and then you have continental Europe. The, yeah. the, the, um, when we went to Porchester and we saw all the dinghies on the parking lot, we were just amazed. Even if you go to like very large sailing club in France, you won't see that. I, I think the, um, in the UK, I mean, the, 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 the number of people that are doing uh, sailing and they, if they are they can they can be sending you know uh, very small boats slow boats quick boats and everything it's much more uh, let's say social that's what you will find in, in france or in belgium so the rs100 is actually a very good example i mean across the channel you see um, you know people in their 50s 60s sailing competitively every every weekend you have young people you have uh, couples it's like a big mix and guess what? When we were actually back to Belgium with our RS400, we realized that in continental Europe, we we're only three people owning an RS400. So, the, 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 I mean, in France, there is um, um, like a, an association called Brescif, and those guys are trying to promote the, the skiff sailing in France, and they're really pushing for the, the handicap racing. And if you go to England, in fact, it seems that in, in big clubs, you have uh, more like fleet racing, but you have so many fleets going together that actually you keep on the social part. And at the same time, you enjoy the fact that you're sending against each other using the same equipment. So it was, I mean, for us coming from continental Europe, going to UK to pick up our first boat was actually um, a very interesting experience. Um, when we went back home, um, we, we, we spent some time with the RS400, I think we did two seasons. And then um, there, was, um, th there were guys selling the Laser 4000, two guys actually in our club. And we said, okay, let's try to do something like in the UK and push to create a, a fleet and a class in Belgium. And uh, we started to have contact with the fleet from uh, the UK, the fleet from uh, Italy, the fleet from France. And on and on, we have developed a bit uh, the, the class. But from a cultural aspect, the selling, I mean, dinghy selling is in the UK is much more, let's say, 
uh, important as an activity as compared to your France or Belgium or Italy. It's a different different game, I would say. Um, just listening there about having only, I suppose, what, a couple of boats in in the in the one country. That's uh, that's really interesting. I suppose promoting those kind of uh, classes are are very difficult when there's already one fixed idea of, of what uh, either dinghy sailing should be or or how it should be properly raced. Um, so that's quite interesting. And then also, when you got your RS400, how long did it take you to actually fine-tune the boat and suddenly think, I'm, I'm competitive now, this is going really well for me? To be honest, in the RS400, when we sold it, or when we sold the, the, the we sold her, we were, we, we were not competitive. I mean, the guys that are leading the pack, they, they have, um, they never miss one maneuver. They, all the time they have the right rake, they have everything all the time perfect. So we've never been up to the stage where we could say we'd be competitive. Basically, we, we could find, you know, um, in the, 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 the ending part of the pack, but the leading part of the pack was just untouchable, to be honest. Because the, so many expertise, so many experience on the same boat, I mean, it's, it's really, it was really, really impressive. We got beaten up by guys which were 60 plus. So we've, we've, all been, we've all been there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've and, we've and, all been schooled by the old boys and girls. And, uh, yeah, that's and, what's and great. Honest, right? You go at point, you know, it's like 14, 15 knots. So you really need to be, you know, to push it. You have your legs burning because you're hiking, you know, very hard. And you have those guys already rounding the, the top mark using the on the kite and they are just passing you waving at you i mean that was actually I it great it was a great lesson from once again not only for us from a sailing perspective but from a, a life perspective i really enjoyed to be beaten up by 60 plus people and can i pull back a bit more on the how you managed to build the fleet in in belgium and then also you're building the cap fleet here in, in the dubai offshore sailing club as well um, I think it's one of the biggest or bigger dinghy fleets now in the boat park, which is, is pretty impressive to see. Correct. Yeah, so f first of all, it's not a, a one man's job. I think the, the idea is that you need to have like a core, um, a core team, you know, some key people that are uh, shining and basically uh, by providing support to people and also stepping away from the very comp ultra competitive spirit. I mean, you race, so obviously you want to finish first, but at the end of the day, what do you want to achieve during that day? In fact, I believe that what you want to achieve is to learn some new things, um, to have like um, a true gentleman approach about the, the race. And basically, as long as you're spending a nice day out there, for me, it's mission accomplished, right? So. I think if you if you just try to push those values in terms of learning experience, having fun, uh, giving support, um, I think that's the way you start by um, um, making the, the the fleet. I would say the challenge was they were a bit different between the building a fleet of Laser Four Thousand in, in in Belgium versus the Cat Fleet in in uh, in uh, in Dubai in the sense that. In, um, 
in Belgium, we were basically starting from scratch. So we were all learning all together. In the CatFit in Dubai, you have guys that, I mean, they did the world several times. They have a lot of experience, a lot of expertise, and much more expertise than, for example, myself, right? Because I was just starting cat sailing with my wife. So the, I think the, the, the tricky part of the making up that fit in, in Dubai was to try to, um, let's say, find right ways of collaborating. Because if I look at all the skills and um, let's say uh, all the background we have in the cat setting now in Dubai, it's awesome, right? Once again, we have ladies, we have gents, we have uh, younger people, we have older people, we, ha we have people that have been sending cats for like the, the last 15 years. So we have a lot, a lot of uh, assets. The, the tricky part is how you can manage those assets to actually make it like a welcoming platform for new joiners and also a platform where if you're starting, you want to make sure that the, the weekend afterwards you will be back again on the water, again and again and again. That's the, that's the thing. So for me, it's all about collaboration. Um, yeah. So Lucy, um, just going to you on some of um, Alex's points there, um, competitive sailors sail to win or sail to do sort of as well as they can do uh, on a daily basis. It's, it's that sort of fire in our belly that we uh, that gets us going, getting out of it's bed. It gets us, you know, going out when there's when there's maybe four knots, and it gets us going out when there's twenty four knots. You know, the two ends of the scale, um, and and that racing to win. And we also early in the conversation spoke about variables and how different boats cope with different uh, conditions better than others. So, does that mean? In, in your opinion that maybe strict one design fleet racing is is where the the competition lies because you're removing the variable of um, uh, different boats coping with the conditions that day and it is just every you know every every sailor has the same equipment and is out there and has has that variable removed so for the for the for the diehard competitive sailors do you think strict one design racing is the only option well, I mean, you're still coming even, I mean, it, in some ways, yes, because you know there and then how well you're doing. Yeah. You know, you're out on the race course, you've got direct, um, you know, competition, with, like you say, with similar um, abilities, you'd hope, uh, similar conditions, um, more or less um, identical setups. Obviously, everyone has their own individual sort of tiny bits of tweaks. Um, and newer sales, et cetera, et cetera. But even with handicap racing, you know, if anything, that gives you more competitive spirit to go out and do your best because you make the least amount of mistakes because that's how you know you're going to get around the course faster than somebody else because, yes, you trust that, you know, handicap um, that you and the other boats have been given and it gives you sort of a hope that when you get onto the water and, you, you know, you're waiting for the results to come out, um, you know, if it's going to be a good one or a bad one. Even now within the laser fleet, I sail the radial. Um, previously though, I, in when we lived here in 11 and 12, I actually sailed the standard because there was no other radials to race against. So I was competing in the standard against guys who were 25 kilos heavier than me. Yes, great for me when it was five knots, but not so great for me when it was anything, well, really above 12. <laughs> Hiking the game. 
a lot of hard work and um, pitching was my only way to get upwind. Um, but it meant I had competition. Um, but now, even in the radio, there's myself and Eve, majority of the time, just the two of us. But And we are very competitive between the two of us to the point that on the odd occasion, we don't get each other's trolleys on the way in because we messed each other up on a on that beat or somebody called, you know, on the start line or whatever it was um, or got room around the lurid mark. Um, but, you know, it, even so, you've still got a handicap within the standard fleet. You know, we still race against the standards. So although, it, you know, we've got standards behind us, then that's great. But we know that, you know, in a 45 minute race, we've probably got a couple of minutes that even if we're only a couple of minutes behind them, we still got them. So even a one design, two one design fleets, I guess, racing in a handicap situation, you've got the best of both, I guess. Nice. That's that's a good. So that's is is that why you majority of the time are racing on Saturday? So you you've got that one design and that handicap feeling at the same time. Yeah, I guess so. Although thinking yeah. about it, I think next season Tim and I are going to swap round because Tim does the. Um, Friday the Commodore's Cup and I've been doing the Saturday series but I think there's been more radials out on the Fridays and so possibly more competition. So another uh, one of Alex's points there was if you um, yeah it's okay you might be racing to win everyone enters a, a sailing race to do well but also um, should always you know he picked up on you should enter a sailing race to for personal development and to learn you need to come off the water a better sailor than you went on otherwise you perhaps you've wasted your time so in that respect is, is a one design class better than a handicap class because if say you put yourself in a in a, in a laser radial in a, and there's 10 of you on the start line if you start at the wrong end you know it instantly if you have a bad tack you know it instantly if you're pinching or footing off if you're not you know close enough to the wind if you're not sat further forward or further, if you're sat too far aft, you know it because boats overtake you. Equally, if you get a great wind shift or you are trimming the boat well and you overtake someone, you have that instant um, instant reward and that instant um, kind of light bulb moment that you're you're doing something right. So in terms of racing to develop yourself as a, as a sailor, do you think that a, a one design class is better than handicap racing? Yeah, I mean, you get, like you say, you get instant feedback, you know, when you've gone the wrong way up the beat, and it's really annoying. <laughs> um, and you just hope that, you know, next time you can, the other person's gone the wrong way up the beat. Um, so, I mean, that in regards to, you know, knowing instant feedback, that is obviously the way forward with the handicap. Is if you like that bit of surprise, I guess, at the end of the day, if you know if you're going to do well or not, or if that bad hoist really made, you know, the difference to the rest of the race and if you won it or not won it. <laughs> right. So, I mean, we've been chatting away for, um, for a few for a few minutes here um so we're going to begin to sort of wrap up and, and we we tackled this conversation the conversation we we set out to to speak about was if there was a, a benefit of handicap racing or on design fleet racing and expectedly i don't think we've uh, come to a true definitive answer would you say chris <laughs> hey everyone's going sailing this sounds like uh, yeah fun. exactly everyone's coming off the water with a smile on their face it's uh, exactly what DOS stands for almost. This is great. I love it. <laughs> what do you think of the key things we've picked up on tonight, Chris? I 
like Alex's points there about how he was mentioning collaboration, uh, really focusing on the learning enjoyment and support uh, between the community. And I really do believe that that is uh, part of DOSC's mantra. You know, when when I was uh, coaching the, the kids uh, for the race squads at the end of last year, and just focusing on coming off the water with a smile on their face first and foremost, it's really important for uh, keeping the sport going and, and keeping it alive and also being inclusive to everybody and uh, making sure everyone is uh, gets some form of enjoyment and feels part of the community is, is really, really key. Uh, so I really, really like that. And it was really interesting, I thought, to hear about, you know, the different kind of tactics that are going on, especially in the One Design fleet, where a lot of us don't always get to uh, be a part of that environment and uh, realize how close the racing really is and how uh, how much you really need to work on on either whether it be your trim or whether it be your knowledge about sailing uh, that that for me is really really key and it's something that I absolutely loved when I was growing up personally so that was uh, that's why I really found it tick the box for me yeah and I'm just gonna um reinforce that with, with one of Lucy's points of um, focusing on racing the race course rather than the fleet and you know, she, uh, her experience of, of, of that and back in, in the east east coast of England but relating that to to one design fleets as well so the fastest way around a race course essentially is is imagining there's no boats there and uh, and thinking about that first and foremost so I think that's a, that's a great tip for for any sailor to to take away from from this conversation guys thank you very very much for your the time this evening has been very welcomed uh hopefully we can spark and inspire some thought and imagination in in, in our fellow sailors during a time when we can't get on the water so thank you very very much from the both of us chris anything to add i'll let you wrap no, up uh, i really appreciate your time tonight as well this evening and uh, welcome to the first dusk pod <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, it's been it's been good. Um, I was a bit nervous because you know you never know what questions are going to be sprung upon you. With <laughs> we try no, not to be too mean. <laughs> no, I know it's good. It's good to have a like you say a bit of a debate and discussion about it. It's something that you probably don't actually really discuss. You know, over a pint of beer at the end of the day because you discuss those days races and. That particular start, etc., etc. So it's nice to do a full roundup. <laughs> very good, Alex. Thank you very much. Thanks. Uh, it was a really interesting hearing about your your experiences on the continent uh, and broadening our, our knowledge on on what's happening over there. So, thank, thank you very much. All right. Thank you, guys. Good night. Good interesting discussion this evening, Chris. Don't you think? Yeah, really enjoyed that. First pod and good to hear the thoughts between uh, the rating system on handicap and the one design fleet racing, especially what we have available down at uh, Dubai Offshore Sailing Club. Um, and certainly there is, seems to be a very strong future there. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. We, we mix the program. We try and balance the, the racing calendar at OSC to, to facilitate both. But it's interesting some points we picked up that um, handicap racing has, has a bit more of a social atmosphere to it. So after hearing our conversations tonight on the first pod, we'd really like to hear what our own members have to say. And we do have our own ideas going forwards about what 
topics we'd like to talk about, but perhaps if there's something else that you think we should add in or something that you would like to hear us talk about and discuss, then we are more than happy to take your, take your calls on this. Um, our email addresses can be found below and it'd be great to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. This, as we said, this is a bit of a journey of discovery. Uh, we want to find out. Um, I know you said before, Chris, you want to want to get to know the membership better, and uh, this is uh, this is the way forwards. Whilst we're we're not able to to converse and, and rub shoulders on the dock, we um, we want to hear from you virtually, and, and we'll do our best to um, get as many uh, different panelists as we can involved and um, and take it forwards. So watch this space and look forward to, we look forward to bringing you the next podcast.